Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. Well, we are in our second part of this thing that we've just simply called, uh, What Child Is This? And we're just looking at, the, at who Jesus is. And as we laid it out last week, all through the scriptures, there were so many different points where people in the Bible asked, who is this man? Who is Jesus? Who is this king? Who is this person that does this or responds like this or asks this? And, and honestly, that's one of, one of the big, big questions for all of us as Christ followers is really when it comes down to it, who is Jesus? Who is he? Who is he for you? Is he a savior? That is a great place to start. And we sing the, we sing the song this time of the year that, that, that our savior is born. But Jesus is so much more than just that. And we can, we can miss. We can miss it. Uh, <clears throat> there's a story from a little over 100 years ago when Catherine Wright, the sister to Orville and Wilbur Wright, who... Were the, finally the ones I understand. There's a little, there's a, there's a, a contest that's been contested that somebody from Texas actually flew first. That wouldn't surprise me at all. That it was a Texan that probably did it first. But that, that's a little bit contested that, that that's the case. But it, the history books currently read that the Wright brothers were the first ones to fly. And after they did this, this is in December of 1903, and they send a telegram back home to their family to let them know about their success. And their sister Catherine gets the telegram, and the telegram reads like this. It says, we have actually flown 120 feet. Okay? Now, that's pretty cool, but these these beams that run across the top of this, that at some point y'all are going to help us paint at some point, um, they're 177 feet long from, from back to end with our building. So they flew 120 feet. They like landed at some point in the nursery. They took off over there and landed some point on our children. And so, and and so they telegram this and send this send this back home and says we've actually flown 120 feet. We will be home for Christmas. So Catherine gets the uh, telegram, runs to their local newspaper editor and says, I just got a telegram from the boys, lays it on his desk, and he glances at the telegram, glances at the telegram, looks at it and looks back up to her and says, how nice, the boys will be home for Christmas. <laughs> he just got the scoop of all scoops. Mankind had built a machine and flew 120 feet. And at this quick glance, all he saw was who they're going to get to connect with at Christmas. What I want us in this series is to not get trapped in the hurry and take a glance at Christmas and let all of the who we're going to spend it with and all of the connections. Family's important. Oh, believe me, family's important. And all of that matters. But what we don't want, we don't want the real news, the real message to get lost in the middle of this. 
See, Isaiah 9, 6 tells us, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's the way we're used to hearing it. For the purpose of this series, then I've taken a different translation of the original Hebrew. So obviously we're not reading the original writings of Isaiah. We don't speak Hebrew. And so we're going to look at Eugene, <coughs> Eugene Peterson's version of it in the message translation. And Isaiah 9, 6 says, For a child has been born, for us the gift of a, <coughs> a son for us. He'll take over the running of the world. His names will be Amazing Counselor, Strong God, Eternal Father, Prince of Wholeness. That's who he's going to be. There is this king, there is this, this man who's going to enter into the scene and it's going to shift everything. And who he is is so vital. There were things out of whack. There were things that were not right with humanity. Things were broken and, and the death of our, of our spirits and souls had to be dealt with. And we were just in the normal flow of life. And Isaiah begins to give us heads up way in advance that something was about to shift. Keenan this week reminded me of a, a funny little story um, with our youngest son, Carson. So he's uh, 13 right now, and this was a couple years ago. Awesome. <laughs> got kids in the house. Love it, love it. We're going to get some doors this week, too. <laughs> keep, that, keep all that joy over there. And so, uh, what was I saying? Carson. Um, anyways, so he was, Carson, uh, he, he's, he's a typical Clark male. You get him still and in front of a flashing screen and we go to sleep at some point. And so he was on the couch in the living room and he fell asleep. But he fell asleep in a weird way. And so he's sitting there and he's in this weird way. And he, if he stays asleep like that, he's just going to wake up with this terrible crick in his neck. It's just going to jack him over. So me being a loving, awesome, caring father, roll with me here, okay? And so, all right, I, I tried. I had my moment. And so uh, as I go over to him, and I'm just going to mess with his pillow, and I'm going to slide him down and, and adjust him on the couch so that he can have a decent sleep. And so in the middle of it, and I don't think he ever actually woke up in this. And so, but I begin to move him, and all of a sudden his eyes just, open up and he just looks and he looks over at me and goes who are you <laughs> I'm gonna need some reinforcements need some prayer for this kid I'm your dad I'm your dad and I'm just trying to help and then he just sits there and then finally he just kind of fades back asleep when I woke him up he uh he, he didn't have any recollection of that whatsoever. But that's a little, uh, it's a little, uh, a little inside joke in our house, and and um, about that, who are you? And that is that ultimate question. We need to desperately know who Jesus is. And so last week we looked at the fact that when God gave us Jesus, He gave us an amazing counselor, an amazing counselor. 
I tell you what, I don't know if you did it this week, but but I put that message to work this week, and I had a place of frustration. I had a place where I just didn't know what to do. And I was like, God, I just preached on the fact that you're an amazing counselor. I need some amazing counsel. I need you to help me. I'm hitting my head on this thing, and I'm just, I'm tired of it. And I tell you what, God began to give a breakthrough. God began to be that amazing counselor to me. If you are frustrated and don't know what to do, the Holy Spirit has been given to you to guide you and direct you and to lead you. God hasn't just just dumped this on us and said, okay, do the best you can. He's given us his presence as a help. And that's when, when God gave us Jesus. He gave us the power of his presence. This is the one time of year we used his name, Emmanuel. And sadly, I think that's only because it, it's, we find it in the Christmas story. We find it in the story of his birth, and we, it's woven into some of our carols. And we don't use the name Emmanuel like we should. And so many times when I am praying with people... I have someone who's just beside themselves and they're just they're frustrated and they don't know what to do and they feel alone and they feel, they feel like God's far, far away. And they happen to call out to me as pastor and say, Pastor, I just need some, some help. One of the first things I do is I pray over them and ha- pray that they would recognize that Emmanuel is their God with us. That all of the pain and the frustration would not drown out the truth that he is God with us. His presence is here and now with us. See, uh, we looked at this passage of Scripture last week, John 16, 12. It says, But verily I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate, also called the Comforter, also translated the Counselor, the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When God sent us the Holy Spirit, when Jesus went away, he did it for our good. He didn't abandon us. He sent it so that his, his spirit could be with us 24-7. We have his presence constantly. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? This is in the middle of Paul dealing with some people kind of going off the rails and and forgetting that the Holy Spirit lives within them and them doing some ungodly stuff with their physical bodies. And in the middle of that, he's like, if you'll remember that God's Spirit lives in you, I think that'll kind of bring some adjustment. I think that'll kind of check some some of this stuff. Remember that that the Holy Spirit, God's very presence, God's Spirit dwells within you. In Hebrews 13.5 says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, I will never leave you, never will I forsake you. What an amazing scripture to quote and to connect in telling us that we need to, not, to, to keep ourselves free from money and be content in a place of where we are at the moment. Because God's never going to leave us or forsake us. You're like, well, what is the love of money and all of this continual desire for the next level in life and more and more and more? What does that have? Well, most of the time it's connected with the fact 
that we think we've got to build our stockpile up. We've got to hold it up because it's all on us. It's all on our shoulders, and we've got to hoard it up, and we've got to do it, and we've got to move forward. And that, and we, if we'll just remember that he will never leave us or forsake us, then we don't have to operate from some sort of spirit of fear at all. We don't have to step into that place of fear whatsoever. That God gave us his presence. He gave us his presence himself. That is what he brought to the table. That is what we are remembering about Christmas. And yes, the the decorations and the gifts and all of the fun stuff is wonderful. But let us not forget that God gave us himself. When we were ready for, for something completely different, when we looked at how messed up and broken and harsh we are with one another and how many times we really haven't cared about God, that God didn't give us what we thought we needed. God gave us himself. I love the, the, the line in the song we sang today that you didn't want heaven, heaven without us. So Jesus, you brought heaven down. Oh my gosh, what an amazing truth. What an amazing thing for us to remember this time of the year. Because the thing is, that so many of us, when we begin to draw in and we connect with God, sadly there's an enemy that's whispering in your ear saying that, that maybe there's something else you deserve. Man, you acted this this way this week. You, you talked to this person. You weren't very honest on this front. And this is what you deserve. And if... If God was going to bring a judge, then God would have brought a judge. But he didn't. He brought his son. His son is an infant. He brought his presence. We had a, another Carson story. This must be Carson week. So, is he in here today? He's not in here today. And um, anyways, but years ago, I've told this story a ton of times, but there's just no better illustration for this. But um, we were in the kitchen, messing around, playing around. And this was back when Carson was really into his, his Nerf stuff. And he had his, his Nerf sword. And um, so Carson has his, we each have our the Nerf swords, and we're sword fighting and playing. And Carson's about five or six years old at the time. So he's a little guy. And um, so I have the sword, and I come through, and I, I smack him. And I'm, I bring it through, and he steps into it, and I'm smacking him. I just I hit him too hard. Now, it's with a Nerf sword, okay? Don't look at me like that. But I did. I hit him, and it, it, it hurt him, and it made him cry. You know, remember, he's five. And so, I, boom, I, I hit him. And then I said, don't forget it, boy. <laughs> Not, really. Not really. He's crying. I started looking for his mom. I don't know what happened. Don't hurt me, baby. And so... Um, anyways, and so actually I'm just sitting there, and I, I just feel terrible. I just hit him. And just uh, out of the recesses of just this, this thing of, of fairness and retribution and judgment comes this solution. It's just not right, but it came out. And I said, Carson, here you go. I heard you. Come on, hit me. Hit me as hard as you want. And that was my, he's five, I didn't have much more on the line there. But I was like, come on, hit me. And so for whatever reason, I don't know, but I've actually braced myself. 
And I get ready for him to just bring the five-year-old judgment on me, pain. And so, and, uh, so I was just ready, and I, and I told him. I said, all right, Carson, bring it. And I was, re- I was ready. I hurt him. I did wrong by him. I deserved judgment. And I was ready for judgment. And Carson looks at me and he has that sword in his hand and it was all free and clear and he could have just done it. But instead, Carson looks at me and he says, this is what I'm bringing. And he comes up and he gives me the the biggest hug and he just hugs me and I'm like, oh! And that is what Christmas is about. That is what it's about. When God took human form, there was nothing less threatening than a baby. Nothing less threatening than a baby. We think of the worst person you know when you go back and you think of them in their mama's arms. And we still have this place of innocence and sweetness. God didn't want to sit there and say, don't make me come down there. All right, I'm coming. I'm God. It's time to reckon. That's what everybody expected. But instead, he comes as this little baby. He comes in the most non-threatening way he could possibly come. When he brought his eternal, divine, all-powerful presence into our presence, he came in such a way that all our instincts would do is to embrace. You see a little baby and all you want to do is just cuddle and hold him. You just want to support them and be there and just enjoy that connection. When God was thinking about him physically coming, that's how he came. So that we would receive his presence. And when God gave us Jesus, he demonstrated the power of humility. Let's look at Luke 2, 6 through 7. That while, we were, <clears throat> while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. This is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There were people who had been watching for Messiah to come. And you know what? If... If God had wanted to orchestrate it, he could have orchestrated it where, where this baby is born and yeah, a baby comes, but he's a king baby. He's a king. And he comes in and he has the little velvet padded golden little bassinet that he has all of the perfect little attendants around him. That he's cleaned up with the most pure, <coughs> pristine water that he's taking care of. Babies, when they're born, it's, it's messy. Mary, when she goes to clean off her child, she dips her hand in a, in a water trough and bathes him. She, in the most humble, accessible way, 
there is no person left out. There is no person who sit there and they go, wow, Jesus was born above my station. No, he came in as low of a place as he possibly could, and therefore he's everybody's Savior. Amen. It's not just because all of a sudden he comes in as King of Kings and now he's the Savior to the kings, or, or he's this Lord and he's the Savior of the other lords and barons and, or aristocrats and all this stuff. He came in, sat there, and he was in a community and was homeless. Jesus was born as a homeless child in a stable, washed and cared for with whatever happened to be available. See, God wanted to communicate us from the, to us from the very beginning that isn't anybody left out of Jesus. Everybody's here. Mark 9.35 says, Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. I love this communicated to us. That if you want greatness in the kingdom, then just start. Just start serving. You feel like you're called to ministry, just start serving. Wherever you can, just start serving. My first awesome opportunity to go on staff with the church was to clean the toilet. And I did it for three and a half years. It wasn't like a little short window of time. I got like, basically got a bachelor's degree in cleaning toilets. <laughs> I mean, it was a long time. But you just serve. You just, you just serve. It's, <clears throat> that's what it's about. Greatness is not found in conquering others. It's found in serving others. And Jesus came. You know, for a long time I had this tension that, you know, that here's God, creator of all, all-powerful, has his son, and here we are, and he calls his son king of kings and lord of lords, and, and we now we kind of, the word tells us to, to worship him, and I was like, God, this, this kind of seems like nepotism here. You know, of course, God's son's supposed to be the one that's at the top, you know, he's God's son. And... Then as I began to just pray and just sit there and go, okay, God, help me to see this. I know you never require something of us you don't require of yourself. Every time God points us into a place and he points us into, into a direction, it's for us to be more like him. Always. Always. And so as I'm sitting there and I look at this, then the reason that Jesus is King of Kings and the reason He is Lord of Lords and there isn't anyone stationed higher than Him is because no one has served humanity more than Him. No one has. He's the greatest servant ever. And that's why He's King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Look at 1 Peter 2, 23. He says, When they hurled their insults at Him, He did not retaliate. When He suffered... He made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. What an amazing act of humility of Jesus just being there. From birth to death, Jesus showed humility. From his first breaths on this planet to his it is finished and breathes his last. He is. Then the last thing we want to look at real quick is that when God gave us Jesus, he gave us the power to overcome. 
It's a scripture we look at very, very frequently around here. John 16, says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Our place of overcoming is being aware that Jesus overcame. That's where we overcome. That's when we step into it is being aware of what he's done. That's why we're studying who Jesus is. Why? So that we can have this place of overcoming. You can overcome at the places where you don't know what to do and, you, and, and you, you're, you're stuck and you need some wisdom when you recognize that Jesus is your amazing counselor of what he's done. He's already overcome it. We do that in every area of life. That he's our healer. And we recognize that and we step into it. That, that he is our peace. 1 John 5, 5 says, Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. The one that overcomes the world, is, is this the one who knows the most scriptures and shows up to church the most and does all of, writes the biggest checks and does all of these different things, prays the longest. No, all those things can be an outgrowth of a genuine relationship with God. But the one that overcomes is the one who believes in Jesus. The one who recognizes the scope and the width of what Christ has done. That he's the one that's done the work and he's the one that's finished it. 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. And by his wounds, you've been healed. We recognize that he himself did it. That's where we step into a place of overcoming. And then as we close, we recognize that even this mortal flesh, that if Jesus doesn't come back in some sort of and, and, and it's this triumphant second return in our lifetime, then this mortal flesh is going to be put aside. If he comes in our lifetime, it'll be transformed. But 1 Corinthians 15, 55-57 says, Death is swallowed up by triumphant life. Who got the last word, O death, O death? Who's afraid of you now? It was sin that made death so frightening. And the law code of guilt that gave sin its leverage, its destructive power. But now in a single victorious stroke of life, all three, sin, guilt, and death, are gone. The gift of our master, Jesus Christ. Thank God. That is what transforms it all. That is where our victory lies. That even death, guilt, and sin are destroyed. And now, so what do we do? What do we, how do we live our lives now? We live them for all the stuff he's given. For life and restoration and wholeness and healing and, and connection with one another. We don't have to go around worrying about our physical death or the guilt and, and, the, and the snares of, of sin. We, go, we move forward with who God is and what he's done. See, our bottom line today is, is Jesus, he's your strong God. And there's nothing that you will face that's too challenging for him. Nothing. Nothing. He loved you so much. He gave you his presence, himself, 
in the most accessible, easily received way he possibly could. In the form of a baby. Praise God. As you celebrate this holy day, remember that Jesus is the greatest gift ever given. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.